This guy is methodical, exacting, and worst of all, patient. He's a nutbag. Because if the fucker's got a library card, doesn't make him a Yoda. Well, get all of the man, just don't stand there. You get the feeling that everything in America is completely fucked up. No, I don't feel all right. None of us feel all right. All right, let's see. Do 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 do, and let's go. Okay, cool. All the microphones all right, all we are. Welcome to the uh, the uh, another episode of Discoursers. I don't. I don't do the numbers anymore at the beginning. That way, I can misplace. You know, put them in oh, different that's places a good idea. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, today we have Derek, and I don't even know your fucking last name. It's okay. It's Derek Montgomery. Montgomery. Yeah. yeah. It's a name that I'm always fascinated that people actually know how to spell. I feel like if it weren't my last name, that I like would have no idea how to spell that thing. It's also a capital though, right? I mean, like, yeah, so but no, kind of. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, Montgomery, Alabama. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's Alabama, but. I mean, still, like, there's a bunch of, like, silent vowels in there. Like, I don't know how to spell every city. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah anyway, mm-hmm. Kalamazoo is pretty easy because you can sound it out. All right. So, uh, let's go. Let's say just the rules. I start out with every episode like this. Cool. Because I know you probably haven't listened to my podcast yet. Dick. Well, I was just waiting for a really, really good one, so I decided to volunteer. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they all sucked. I just knew I had to be on it for it to be yeah, a good episode. I, I didn't assume they sucked. I just never heard it. Right. <laughs> all right, so I usually start out with a couple of rules. I'm probably going to add to this later. Cool. But it's literally, as the podcast is about, uh, as the podcast is about proper discourse, then there's a couple of rules. Let's say, uh, number one, keep it civil. Uh, let's both get out of here in one piece. That's pretty simple. Yeah. Uh, number two, if... Anyone is offended, aggravated, whatever, someone so says, they ask the other person to explain. I don't think we're going to have a problem with that. That's fine. <laughs> um, number three, only interrupt if the other person is exhausting an answer. They're going on and on, like grandstanding about something. Mm, yeah. You know, it's a podcast. Nobody wants to listen to a fucking rant. Right, exactly. Forever, you know. Uh, let's see. Number four, uh, this is my cheesy one, my heartfelt one. Uh, <laughs> be yourself. That's who I want to meet. Yeah. Uh, oh, That's why we're here. Oh. It's so beautiful. So, uh, Derek, you're, you like the trumpet. I do like the trumpet a lot. Yeah, so like much so that I decided to make it a career. It's uh, right. not an advisable thing to do if you can do anything else. Uh, but it's something that I absolutely love and it's something I get a, a lot of enjoyment out of. It's my way of being able to help a lot of people uh, regardless of their sort of career paths. Um, and it's literally something that I can't imagine doing anything else. Uh, in, in fact, it actually reminds me, uh, when I was at FSU last semester, um, Anthony McGill, who's a really, really famous clarinetist, he actually played for Obama's inauguration and is uh, currently the principal clarinet of the New York Philharmonic, where he migrated from the Metropolitan Opera. It's just top, top, top class musician, top class person. Nice. Uh, okay. I think the best piece of advice that he gave is that if you can see yourself doing anything else, it's probably a good idea for you to do that. <laughs> but, but don't most artists say that about their art? Like as a, like as a writer, like, okay, I'm not a famous writer, but I'm not an amateur anymore. Sure. I, get, I get paid for my writing. Right. You know what I mean? 
And when everybody asked me, it's like, oh, I've been thinking about becoming a writer. I'm like, if you could do fucking anything else, yeah, literally, anything. please do it. Right. I think most artists, like painters, will say that too. Right. It's like, listen. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a level of respect for the art and there's an understanding that, uh, you know, what we're in, endeavoring to do is a very difficult thing. I remember uh, there's this one trumpet teacher who's at the University of Delaware now, Mark Claudfelter, fantastic person, um, who said something to the effect of um, winning a job in a major city orchestra can be harder than becoming a United States senator. Mm. You know, uh, the Philadelphia Orchestra recently had. Well, it takes a better person to take that. <laughs> That's probably easy. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the moral standard there is not very high. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, that only scare away moral people from actually applying to uh, for political mm. office because it's like if you've got anything in your past, it's like you're destroyed if you have a. If spouse. you don't play the game. Right. If you have a spouse, yeah. they're destroyed. The kids get brought into it. There don't seem to be any like rules about this now. And sometimes you get shot in the back of the head when you're going down the street on a Cadillac. In Dallas. In Dallas. If you don't play the game. Yeah. Oh, yikes. I, JFK. Oh, Dallas. wow. Okay, yes. I'm pretty sure, though. Maybe it was Houston. It was Dallas. I don't remember. What was it? No, I think you're right. I think it was Dallas. Okay, yeah. No, sorry. I, was, uh, my, my, I wasn't thinking that far as opposed to history. Ready to go, history buff. I, 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 Jesus. Well, no. I thought, like, oh, my God. Did I miss that news story? Like, did a senator get shot? Right. Like, what? <laughs> Like, you did miss that one right, by like, a whole 60 years. Like, that's <laughs> terrifying that I could miss that. <laughs> but, right. um, but yeah, it was, it was really interesting. It's like it's it's more difficult than uh, becoming a United States senator. You know, there's a hundred of them and, you know, there's two per state. Uh, the Philadelphia Orchestra recently had auditions for like second trumpet, right? Like second, not principal, but second. Right. Um, and they literally got 317 applications. Wow. So much so that it inspired the principal trumpet to write an article about auditioning. Uh, the so audition how much process. do you get, do, um, do you get paid like a livable wage to be in a in that, that kind of position? Uh, in that kind or of is position, it just absolutely. Uh, it's it's both, I think. Okay. Uh, so if you take sort of like say your top five orchestras: New York Philharmonic, Chicago Symphony, San Francisco, L.A., and Philadelphia. Probably throw Boston in there. I don't think anybody would debate that list too harshly. Um, Fuck them if they do. Well, <laughs> but, um, you, you, you know, I mean, they, they get paid very well. I mean, it's chances are the base pay for any one of those orchestras is probably at least $100,000 a year. Nice. Um, okay. Yeah. Almost all but of them. But you earn it. Right. Oh, you yeah, absolutely yeah. do. I mean, they're, they're uh, performing, say, like four concerts a week. Um, they've got rehearsals on top of that. Right. Uh, and the level of skill and the level of demand that's put on sort of everybody and the, the craft that's involved is extraordinary. It takes a very uh, disciplined, very sort of like open and in certain senses sort of like vulnerable, non-ego driven person to be able to sort of thrive in an environment like that. I think that's important for anyone who does anything remotely artistic. Hmm. Is that lack of ego? I've noticed that in not only with comedy, mm -hmm. uh, with writing, and I've noticed it in kung fu. Like all three mm, of those. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, kung yeah. fu taught me the most because kung fu is the most direct. Sure, sure. Like if you've got an ego and you still keep getting punched in the face, <laughs> you probably shouldn't have an ego. You know, it's like it's, it's immediate the, feedback. Either that or the ego might like literally be bruised. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you'll you'll become yeah. angry. Like the first right. thing, the first thing my Sifu does is, is break your ego. Hmm. That's the first thing he does. What he, does he do? He uh, he'll be playing around with you without hitting you hard, but enough to sting. Hmm. Yeah. And he just barraging you. He'll get you in a corner and barrage you, toss you against the wall. When you bounce off the wall, he's already coming at you again. Jeez. He's got you on the ground. He's got you in an arm bar. Yeah, and he's smiling and laughing the whole time. <laughs> 
It's like because he's having a great time. Right. It's like this isn't malicious. I can simply take you. Right. But then your ego is just like sees him laughing and yeah. smiling, and he's just dominating you in every way possible, well, almost every way possible. Well, and you've got no chance, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, there's nothing sensei. you can do. <laughs> yeah. And so finally, you just have to go. Yeah. There's nothing I can do. Right. I I'm, I'm not badass. This. Yeah. I'm not a badass. You know. Right. And I think that's very important for uh, creative right. things to have that because otherwise you're never going to learn. Well, yeah. I mean, that's sort of like spirit. I remember I was reading some book. I think the name was Mark Manson. It was uh, the book was called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, uh, which was really, really instrumental in shaping a lot of um, sort of like how I view the world and really uh, the sorts of things that I decide to devote energy to uh, and, and simply care about what to give a fuck. Right. right. <laughs> as it were. Yeah. Well, what like I like to think of. Sorry to interrupt, but it, yeah. it's like I like to think of it as in like. You pay attention, right? That literal word, pay yes. attention, because you only have so much currency. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. To spread out. That's exactly true. Yeah, yeah. And it's 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 a matter of sort of like priorities and energy. So it's like, okay, well, if I got like a list of ten things that are important to me, obviously we're going to make sure that like one through three happens, right? Mm -hmm. You uh, probably most sort of like stable moral uh, people who are. Uh, in sort of like stable situations uh, would prefer to have a good relationship with their family, just sort mm -hmm. of as a preference, as opposed to having a bad one. Right. Uh, I imagine that's high on the priority list for some people. Um, obviously there's career. Mm -hmm. um, you sort of like want to make your mark. Obviously you want to make a living and be able to afford the roof over your head and the electricity that powers your home and the mm -hmm. internet that allows you to stream all sorts of things. <laughs> but, um, Board hub? You a port hub or X videos? So what? Are you a port hub or X videos? Ah, I've never been on X videos before. Okay, so you're a Pornhub. Well, I'll, I'll just say I've never been on X videos. <laughs> We'll, we'll wander in this degree of non-specificity. <laughs> right, right, gotcha, gotcha. But, I'm an X-Videos guy, just saying. Yeah, so. no, no, I think everybody has their uh, site, as long as you're not paying for it. You're, you're oh, exactly. exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Then it's like, okay, well, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that just feels like entirely too widely available. Right. Uh, and it's not, it's interesting, I was reading an article on a lot of musicians who were having issues with Spotify. Uh, basically, the owner... I think he made like $3 billion last year, or he's worth $3 billion. He's a billionaire. Um, and they get paid shit money. For each play? Nothing. It's like 0.001% or right. something, yeah. I mean, some artists were saying that especially, I mean, we're not talking about your superstars that make millions of dollars mm -hmm. um, selling out stadiums. I mean, but just people who are sort of making a craft and trying to get their name out there, they literally, um, if they have a, a hit on Spotify or something like that, they can't even afford to pay the musicians for having recorded that song. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and you know, this always sort of like drifts into uh, topics, I think, of like income inequality, sort of like power vacuums and things like that. But I, to me, it's more of a, um, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm much more willing to put things on sort of like society as opposed to blaming an individual person or blaming an overall concept. Because the concept. I'm right there only, with you. Yeah. Yeah. Because the concepts can only come from people. Right. You know, it's like for people. They give the people what they want. Right. A really interesting statistic is that um, I think Congress's approval rating right now, last time I checked, it was like 9%. Jesus right? Christ. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's single it's fucking digits. Absolutely yeah. abysmal. You ask any American anywhere, it's like, what do you think about Congress people? It's like, they are terrible. They're corrupt. They're awful. They steal your money. Mm -hmm. Half of them should be in jail, blah, 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 blah. And then you ask them about their congressperson. Yeah. Oh, he's great. Yeah. <laughs> 
nobody really fights for my district. We've yeah. got this like military base over here. We've got this like art center over here. My congressman is fantastic. It's all the other ones that have problems. Of course. Yeah, Unfortunately, yeah. everyone thinks this. Yeah. And you know, you would think that with a 9% approval rating, like there'd be like, I don't, I don't know, some sort of like march going into the Capitol to like physically remove right. these people and replace them with. That's um, what you get with the Republic though. Like if you had a direct democracy, I think it would be different. Yeah, but with a republic, which I prefer to a direct democracy, oh, we're too big for that. Absolutely. Um, well, I mean, direct democracy is is literally tyranny of the majority. Um, right. And I always forget the word of this because it's like majority is like what two thirds? I forget preponderance. Fifty one percent. Okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, having fifty percent plus one is no way to run like a, a school, let alone a society. Well, especially um, given the, the amount of subcultures we have here, like the West Coast is different right. from the East Coast and the South is different from the from the West Coast and the Southwest is different from everywhere else. And right. The Midwest is different. Well, one of the things that defines Americanism is that diversity is mm-hmm. like the idea of, uh, you know, this is certainly a, probably over romanticized these days, but like the idea of sort of like the rugged individual going out and forging their path and, right. you know, uh, like, you know, cutting away at forest underbrushes with machetes and cutting down trees and right. building himself a cabin. You know, it's a it's a. It's a pioneer kind of spirit, mm-hmm. uh, whether or not it's at the expense of people who happen to have already lived there. It's another story. But, all, all, um, I would say that all success, at least monetary, monetarily, okay, monetarily, is in a sense taking away from someone else. Interesting. What because what, there's because there's only so much money in the economy, unless they add more and inflate it. Hmm. But there's only so much money. So if you open a business, mm-hmm. uh, let's just say I don't know selling tires. And someone else is selling tires down the street. You're going to try and sell more tires than him. Of course. And if there's enough customers from both of you to stay afloat, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But if not, you're going to try to be, take his customers by being a better business. Right. So essentially, it's the it's, it's meritocracy, it's I like guess, in a way. One must lose for another to win, um, sort of thing. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Because but, there's not unlimited resources, so it kind of right. makes sense. Yeah. Like, not just money-wise, but just resources in general. That's interesting, because I find myself sort of like in between. I, I remember, I can't remember who the uh, professor was, but they were talking about sort of like the state of play in American politics and basically the views that drive um, sort of like all the conceptions, all the policies that they end up coming up with. And uh, I think they said, like, when you look at sort of like your basic Republican or your basic conservative, um, they believe in the idea of like the growing pie chart is that it's not a matter of there's these resources over here. And because these people were sort of more dominant or more educated or were sort of like born in a uh, higher hierarchical ladder. that they've now taken money from you and you have sort of like no opportunity. They believe in the idea that you can just add statistics to the pie chart and that it's either uh, meldable or sort of like growable. So uh, obviously that's an overly romanticized idea uh, because right. to a certain extent, there are certain realities. If you're super duper poor, chances are right. uh, you're, you're not at the best public school. You're not in a position to be set up for the kinds of scholarships uh, that somebody right. say, in a, like a richer neighborhood would uh so have, have have you have you personally seen that like as a black dude have you personally seen that in your life it's interesting because it's like the concept of blackness is something that's always eluded me to a certain extent mm-hmm. um part part of it is well, probably, obviously you're wearing a fucking polo well <laughs> but it's made by nike so you know <laughs> 
So you want the we've, you, got, we've got a rep. I always try to compromise somewhere. Yeah, you want the you want the Tiger Woods blackness rep. Yeah. Well, he's only half black. I'm, I'm the hundred percent. You know, oh, true. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we still haven't had a full black president. You know, we, mm. we need like the full kilter. That's like, true. Are you, are you announcing your presidency? Yes, yes. I as a single American citizen, I'm renouncing the presidency right. of the country of 360 million people. Right. <laughs> but um, but no, it's it's interesting because to me, um, I always sort of like get a little bit annoyed when I see sort of like the uh, sort of like the Al Sharpses and the Jesse Jacksons. Obviously, they had their place in history and mm -hmm. a lot of um, sort of the freedoms and the uh, just frankly, like the concepts of equality that we enjoy today are uh, attributed to their work. Mm -hmm. But then it starts to get into this weird, dangerous territory of absent um, uh, sort of like written down systemic oppression. Uh, and by systemic, I mean like literally written in law. So Jim Crow is a system right. of oppression. Mm -hmm. You can be in a racist town and have a hard time sort of like finding a job in that racist town, but mm -hmm. there's no say like law that says like black people must find it like 25% more difficult to get a right. job. You know, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's much more, I think, anecdotal than statistical now, mm -hmm. uh, which is a, a, a huge positivity. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, but then, I don't know. It's like the um, at the same time we sort of like get into this danger of like, okay, well, are they like what? It, what is it? Are they like the ambassadors to black people? Do mm -hmm. they uh, sort of like speak to a larger group? Do is there really one thing other than our skin color that binds us all? And I, I think that they're outdated. Like they're, I agree. They're, they're yeah. still fighting for something that in their minds they, they still need to keep fighting for, but it's not to say that it's already there, right? but they're just, they haven't caught up with the times on what needs to be done and what needs to be talked about yeah. and what, you know, and like the way to talk about it. Like people don't appreciate the preacher style anymore. Hmm. Like Martin Luther King, yeah. Al Sharpton, all these guys, like they used to be amazing when Christ Christianity was more prominent, particularly in black right, communities. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And it still is more prominent in black communities, I oh, believe, sure. than in yeah. white communities, but it's lessened a lot. Mm -hmm. So, and and preaching, people, the re like one of the reasons I started this podcast, yeah, uh, one of the reasons I started this podcast was for, you know, good conversation. And for uh, for good conversation, you have, there's there's a give and take. And when you're preaching, there's no give and take. It's all, it's all take. Or all give. Well, it's interesting because Depending it's like when you're, you're preaching, um, ideally they're not your words. You're communicating a message that's already been sort of like set forth. These aren't necessarily your opinions. True. This is law sort of as you interpret them. And, and right. that way I'd see them probably more as like, I, I don't know, like Supreme Court justices for a particular city or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but it, but yeah, so definitely the um, an increase in secularism and a decline in sort of like numbers at churches has um, led to deal with it. And two, it kind of reminds me of, uh, there's I forget the name, but there was this Japanese general um, uh, during World War II, I think they was like stationed in the Philippines or something like that. Mm. And uh, ended up doing like all this guerrilla warfare and disappeared into a forest. Um, and so long after the war is over, this guy is still like fighting people, believing uh, that the war is still going on and he's sort of holding to this sort of like true Japan that is ever shifting as he continues this fight. Right. Um, finally, some guy finds him and brings him back to Japan, f actually convinces him that the war is over because they had dropped pamphlets. He didn't believe it. The Japanese emperor had like sent him an, uh, like letters. He didn't believe those. He thought they were all fake. Right, uh, exactly. Because yeah, yeah, he's yeah. like at war. He's like, oh no, they're trying to trick me. And as soon as right. we come out, they're going to shoot us. And so, Damn, that's a fucking dedicated general right there, dude. Damn. That's why they almost won. 
Well, right. And it's, like, it's, it's also, it's, it's such a dedication to sort of like the old uh, Japanese culture where otter is uh, sort mm-hmm. of sacrosanct above all things. Right. Uh, better to die in battle than to give up a battle. Right. Yeah. Uh, or dishonor yourself or any way. Right, right, exactly. And so when they finally sort of like brought him out of the, uh, sort of like the forest, brought him back to Japan, he ended up sort of almost being like this, um, kind of like sort of this sideshow thing where it's sort of like, oh, here's this relic from Japan. And isn't it kind of funny that he thought it was the war and here he is sort of like preaching about the powers of old Japan, but we've moved on. Like not only have we stopped warring with the US, but we've accepted Western culture. Like Kanye was just here last week, So yeah, it's also we like- We wear Nikes now, like this right, is what we do. Right. We, yeah. Uh, and it's it doesn't seem like that kind of like societal reckoning for lack of a better word. I'll probably come up with a better word later. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the same outlook is not sort of like placed on those people. Like if I were to say, uh, sort of like who are the main black leaders now, it's very easy to sort of like rife off like Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton. And then my immediate question is like, okay, who are the equivalents of those uh, for Latinx people or um, Jewish people or Right, you know, God forbid, white people. Well, <laughs> you know, well for well for Jewish people, there's Woody Allen, so he's the ambassador. Yeah, yeah that's no, even though he married his daughter, hey, that's not really a good ambassador. Yeah, not but, great. Uh, hopefully, they didn't consecrate that marriage. Um, had, a, had, a, had a really good uh, had a really good ambassador on um, one of the previous episodes, Gabriel. Yeah, he's weird as fuck. Oh, I don't, that's I, good. I, have I met him? No, uh, she, you met her. Oh, her. Yeah, uh, Gabriel, she she shows up. She's very awkward. She's a comedian. Oh, yes, Um, yes, yes, yes. Gabby and I have met. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gabby, yeah. yeah. I just call her Gabriel, but. No, it's it's funny. We we were uh, sitting at the bar once and we were just sort of like having a conversation and she like leans in uh, sort of a little bit awkwardly and uh, says, so, uh, sorry if this is offensive, but my gaydar is like really off. Like, are you gay? And. I remember when I was sort of like skipping a beat, I was like, oh, yes, very. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of figured that the first time I met you. I so was what? like, yeah, yeah, he's gay. That's, I was just like, yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. It's really funny because it always sort of like comes in one of two ways where it's like either sort of like the mannerisms of which I display or I, I don't know, sort of like the way that I carry myself seems to either give it away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's a good number of people, I would say surprising, but I guess I'm not shocked by too many things these days, mm-hmm. uh, that are like completely shocked. Uh, but I remember I was um, actually um, sitting at a uh, bar with somebody and we were um, just sort of like talking back and forth and talking about sort of like life, the proper role of um, your professor as it relates to say like your personal life and how it intersects with your career. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things that musicians can get in a little bit of trouble doing is developing um, like too close of a, a personal dynamic uh, with somebody without the respect of the professional relationship backing it up. Mm-hmm. So I'll hear like all the time, it's like, oh, this professor is my second dad. It's like, no, they're not. You have one dad. And, you know, sometimes people don't even like them. Right. <laughs> so yeah. um, there's a huge difference with that. That's kind of what my seafood is the same way. Yeah. But, but it's like, don't put that level of responsibility on them because mm-hmm. fatherhood is an absolutely um, uh, sort of like cr- critical dynamic to be able to have. And mm-hmm. it, to a certain extent, I find that it sort of trivializes the relationship on one end because it's sort of like, okay, if this personal stranger that you met when you were like 20 um, is now taking the place of somebody who like raised you from the time that you were pooping in diapers, it, 
And I know to me it seems a little disrespectful. Right. Um, and then at the same time, it puts entirely too much responsibility on a uh, say like a professor or just given any professional, your sifu or whomever. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does that got to do with uh, tying back into the, the gay thing? Oh, oh, so, yeah. sorry, yeah, no, yeah. I'm ranting. <laughs> no worries, yeah. Um, but yeah, so she's, she was just like really surprised. I, I, I said something to the effect of like, oh, well, you know, obviously you can go to them with certain personal problems, but like I wouldn't go to like my trumpet professor with uh, my boyfriend broke up with me. Right. And she, uh, you know, like, what do I do? It's like, um, teach you trumpet? Yeah. <laughs> Practice like, more? Like, really? Like... Yeah. <laughs> Like, why is this happening? Uh, But yeah, she was like, sort of like taken aback by it. Um, And she said uh, something that was like, oh, I had no idea that you were part of like the community or something like that. And I said, well, you know, I don't really like wear a t-shirt or a sign. And unfortunately the pink star kind of went out of fashion in the fifties. Right. Um, So, you know, um, I I feel like it could be a fashion statement now. (sighs) I don't know. I feel like it's always too soon. Um, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I feel like there's like one of those, it's just kind of like one of those things where it's like, I feel like if any heavy. group, if any group could just really embrace that and make it null and void from what it used to be, it would be the gay community. You know, that's fair because uh, they, uh, what is it? They took the word queer back. Right. It's, it's now part of LGBTQ. Yeah. Uh, queer. And plenty of plenty of gay dudes call each other faggot. Like that's the thing yeah. that happens. Like all the, I hear it all the time. Well, and that's an interesting thing too, because then we get into uh, you know like gay people who uh, sort of like refer to each other as the f word, or mm-hmm. uh, black people who refer to each other. Oh, as so the you don't you don't say n word. Excuse me. So you don't say it f word. Uh, well, I'll, I'll say fuck. <laughs> no, no, I mean, right. like, I mean, faggot. Like, I mean, so you don't really like to use it. I mean, it's it's not a matter of me not liking to use it. It's mm-hmm. it's certainly not my default, and it's I, I'm very rarely in a situation where I find it relevant or right. particularly appropriate to use that word. Gotcha. Uh, not not that I find it particularly offensive or inappropriate. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm around people yeah. who say it constantly, and to me, what's more important is uh, the actual sort of like principle of the person. Mm-hmm. So, you know, take a guy who uh, hangs around sort of like black people all the time, happens to be white, um, is really sort of like engrossed in the culture uh, and is actually educated on the culture who drops the occasional N word. Right. Are we now to say that that person is a racist? Like, right. it, that seems like a, a little bit of a far-fetched stretch. And frankly, it's a little intellectually lazy, I think. I kind of have an issue with that myself because I do mm. jokes that are... They're fairly on the race line, you know what I mean? They're, but I, 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 not that I say under, I understand the, the culture itself completely, but I understand more than like your typical white person. Right. Like but, I've lived in a lot of ghettos and I've hung out with people and smoked weed with people, you know, right. and like done all, all of that. And I understand what it means to be malicious and what it right. not be malicious. Right. But the people who are listening to the jokes and the people that, particularly the people that don't understand black culture, think the things that I'm saying are racist. Like the like the joke where I do uh, white people are nothing but ashy white people because we all moved from Africa North and there was no such thing as lotion. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. most of the time black audiences find that fucking hilarious. Right. You know? It's the white people that get upset. Exactly. I always find it amazing where it's like, there's, there's sort of like a group, this actually happened to me recently where uh, one of my colleagues had put up a uh, sort of like a Facebook post that 
uh, it wasn't explicit by any means. It was simply uh, the policy of a school that he had previously attended um, that happened to be a Christian school that said, you know, we value um, traditional marriage. Uh, we obviously believe that heterosexuality is uh, sort of like a more viable means of living than homosexuality, which is statistically speaking, not completely untrue. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but at the same time, You're being because, too logical about this. Well, I Jesus. Know, I'm supposed to be angrier, but <laughs> but, but yeah, but but uh, they, they, basically their policy was like you know if you're sort of like having thoughts of homosexuality, we've got Christian counselors here that you can talk to, or you know, and basically we recognize same, uh, sorry uh, heterosexual marriages, not so much homosexuality. I mean, basic Christianity, right, I think. traditional kind of fundamentalism. Right, I don't see like churches yeah. all over the place performing gay weddings. I think that'd be weird. But right. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, but, but, like I, I got like four or five text messages from like straight white people that were just like, "Can you believe this? You put like, did you see this message? He had posted it like 16 minutes, and I'm already getting texts uh, from people who were saying it's like, wow, that's such a horrible thing. How can he believe such a thing? And it's like, the guy is a Christian, grew up in Texas, went to a Christian school, and you're surprised that he has Christian values. Like right. that seems like. I don't know, like a little intolerant for America. Um, yeah, and and, and and oddly enough, I mean, this colleague, is, he's he's just a fantastic person. I mean, we have a, a really great time. He's very sort of like professional. Um, I've never felt um, sort of uncomfortable around him, and despite him being what I can only assume is a very devout Christian, I've never been in a situation where he's either tried to sort of like force a viewpoint on me. Like, yeah, he didn't even really bring it up ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's just a fantastic colleague. And so to me, that's so much more important. Bam. Because it's like, people can have beliefs that are different from yours. It's called America, enjoy it. Yeah. yeah <laughs> because, yeah. you know, yeah. one day you're gonna disagree with a lot of people and you're really gonna want all of those freedoms that you very sort of like, coyly wanted to take away mm-hmm. uh, from somebody else who had a disagreement with you. It's, it's, I, I find precedent so much more important than any individual reality. Right, yeah, people's actions. Uh, the, again, breaking down a word, kind of like pay attention, uh, responsibility. Right. Basically it means the ability to respond. Or basically who they are. Or it, to me, it gets back to this conversation of um, tolerance versus acceptance is that there are plenty of behaviors out there that um, I sort of like tolerate. I don't accept them as morally or ethically good, but at the same time, you don't judge the entire person based on a particular behavior that they exhibit or a particular means by which they sort of like identify themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just sort of like a separate category of thing. To me, what's so much more important is sort of like the respect that's given and say like a person-to-person conversation and um, who the person is sort of in total. Mm-hmm. And so in that respect, I say, this is a great guy. And he says, well, he doesn't believe in gay marriage. I was like, yeah, I'm not gonna screw him anytime soon. Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. I, don't, I don't see how that's like relevant to me. He's yeah. living his life, I'm over here living yeah. mine. And we have a healthy respect for the disagreements yeah. that we have for each you other. You don't seem like a marriage guy. You don't seem like a marriage guy anyway. <sighs> you know, <laughs> I mean, it's it's, to, to me, it all comes back to the concept of falling in love. It's not something that I'm particularly opposed to, but I know some people who are like really like on that track. And, and, and to be fair, I think a lot of it is uh, driven by uh, 
certainly religion, but to a certain respect, like sort of like natural law and an instinctual man. It's the idea of uh, procreation and using your children as a tool to sort of like shape the universe that comes after you mm-hmm. die. Yeah. Um, it's not only a legacy, but it's your mark on being able to sort of like affect the future of the world yes. long after you've passed away. And so, Even with tiny fractions of action that affect tiny fractions of right, things. Right, exactly. And so... So there are many people, and I and I respect them deeply, who sort of like see marriage as um, sort of like a moral goal. You know what I mean? Uh, where it's like, okay, let's find somebody to get with. I don't want to be alone for the rest of my life. Obviously, um, that's a whole different topic, probably a whole different podcast. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, so like, I want to find somebody. I want to be able to sort of like settle down. And there's like a picture of a life that they envision and that they want. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, again, it gets back to this idea of priorities and sort of like what you rank and what kind of energy that you devote to particular Mm -hmm. things is that Mm -hmm. for me, that's never been a particularly important thing. Right. Um, Right. I I don't necessarily mind being alone. I I put a very big distinction between being alone and being lonely. Mm -hmm. Uh, Um, I fucking 100%. Yeah. Right. right. And, and I know yeah. people who are in relationships and surrounded by social peers that are incredibly lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, and to a certain extent, the relationships sort of exacerbate the situation because they feel sort of like a vapidness um, when their social groups can be so large or when they're sort of like going out of the way, their way to not be themselves in order to be socially acceptable. Um, yeah. Cramp, what was I talking about? What I found is the, the successful people are usually the most alone people. Like they, mm. they like to kind of be more in seclusion with themselves to figure out their own thoughts. Mm, Doesn't yeah. mean they're lonely. Again, like you said, like I do that a lot. Like I don't have the time. Like we hang out the Kava bar mm. where we hang out. You know, which we've talked about on the podcast before right. with one of the, uh, Roman, mm, yeah, uh, one of the owners. But I, you know, I got this two bedroom house. I got an office. I don't even like my bed is not even great for sex. <laughs> like, right. even, like, I've, I've seen it. I, I wouldn't want to make yeah, it. Yeah, it's like, what is that? It's not even a single. It's like a kid size bed. Yeah. Like, my feet barely, like, like fucking, like, meet the end of it. It's like know? not even a twin, just like a single child. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it and could be an only child. There's bed. barely anything in this fucking apartment. So I could, like, leave at any time. Right. You know, which I'm actually pl- probably might move in three months, four Where months. Where to? Uh, Paris. Ooh, well, like I've, France well, or Texas? <laughs> uh, yeah, France. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not Texas. Okay. Uh, this this is my top five list. Yeah. Paris, uh, Lisbon, mm. uh, Portugal. Uh, let's see, Amsterdam. Although Ooh. Amsterdam's gonna be way too expensive. What's attracting you Paris to these places? They're culturally diverse central points. Mm. So they're they're definitely a place to get more cultural diversity out of it and more creativity and more musing basically mm. to like kind of uh, incorporate different perspectives and you don't get that here but you yeah, can't no. <laughs> i'm kidding <laughs> hell no hell no i mean like most of the time the only people that talk to me right here are the weirdos at the kava bar mm. and if it's if it's not other than that it's mostly white people that I don't want to talk to and the fucking racial, <laughs> the racial uh, uh, tenseness here is just so much that when you're walking down the street, you say hi to a black person, they just ignore you most of the time. Right. Which I don't blame them. You know what well, I mean? Well, God because, forbid if they're walking in a store and you ask them if they need help finding anything. Right. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I kind of understand where it's coming from because uh, they've sure. been treated like shit probably from right. a lot of other. There's white definitely people a history here. there, but so, but so what? I, so literally, there's no diversity in my life here. Um, 
Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, uh, Paris, mm. Lisbon, Madrid, Ooh, yeah. Amsterdam, and Berlin. Oh man, I've always wanted to go to Berlin. Yeah, uh, but they're also not only are they uh, culturally diverse, but they they're also central points because I want to start a travel show, mm, and I yeah, want it yeah. to be kind of in the the emulation vein of Anthony Bourdain, hmm. Parts Unknown, which I don't know if you ever watched that, but God damn, I've seen a couple of episodes. Dude, he was so good. He was the ultimate ambassador for America. Hmm. He should have been the ambassador for our country. Really? He went out, he ate their food, he lived like a local, he 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 drank with them, he recorded having conversations, asked them about everyday normal things hmm. in their society, but also things that were very wrong politically. Very wrong. Very wrong politically. Wrong. What, what yeah. do you mean? Like I don't know. He would talk about. He would interview someone who was a local activist about female genital mutilation. Mm, wow. Okay. But in a way that wasn't super serious, like sixty minutes or you know, like hmm. a CNN interview. Interview. It was right. very intimate. It was very personal. Right. You know, and he would ask them like very relevant questions, but in a very intimate and personal right. way. But so, so I'm, I'm sure still that's sort of like all the respect that's. Uh, so certainly required in a conversation like that. I mean, gosh, that's really deep. Absolutely, yeah. It's it. He was amazing. He was yeah. an amazing man. He also had a lot of troubles, which is like hung himself. Well, sure, yeah, cut. Uh, yeah, which I can kind of understand. Terrible. I've tried to kill myself before. So. Oh, really? <laughs> We're not going to go into that on this episode. Okay, but uh, uh, yeah, there's definitely a history there. But yeah, so uh, yeah, just just it's a hot spot because if you like, particularly Paris and particularly Berlin, yeah. jumping from there. To anywhere else, mm, right? Because you can go anywhere in the fuck. European Union. Yeah, yeah, yeah. European Union, Asia, right? Because uh, it's, I mean, like, try to go to fucking Thailand from here. You know what I mean? That's like <laughs> yeah. that's like fourteen hundred dollars. Yeah, you probably have to go through a security screening questionnaire to make sure you're not doing anything. You know, yeah. <laughs> and then from the Europe, it's like five hundred bucks. Mm. You know, yeah. like, like fucking going to Israel, which I really want to visit Israel. Mm, yeah, like yeah. Tel Aviv and all that shit. Uh, I, it's like $120. That's amazing. From Paris. Wow. Yeah. And I looked at it like, that's for tomorrow. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah, not like yeah, two yeah. months from now. It's like, oh man, I forgot. Uh, There's like Yom Kippur's coming up and I need to be in Israel. It's right. like, ooh, okay, hundred bucks. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that guy, that's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's my plan. But see, that's interesting to me because it gets back to this point that you're talk- we were talking about before about mm-hmm. sort of um, setting priorities and uh, as you said, where we pay attention. Right, right. Uh, is that for you? That's so much more important than sort of like say like one personal relationship. Not to say that that won't become a priority for you later. Right. But for me, uh, my priority has always been on the career. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been willing to sort of like sacrifice uh, personal relationships, and frankly, have before uh, for people who haven't uh, been particularly productive for helping me um, sort of like reach my goals. Uh, there, and I find I get so much more utility out of it. I mean, I just went on a date with uh, some dude a couple of uh, weeks ago. Yeah, some dude. Yeah, he, 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 <laughs> he didn't call me back, so he's going to remain as some dude. Right, so. right, right, there you go. Yeah. He could have been famous on a podcast. He could have no. been. Yeah, no, it's like, no, we won't Taylor Swift him. It's okay. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, it's like I, I got a lot of value uh, from that. I, I sort of like enjoyed the time that we had. Uh, but then it's sort of like you brought it out to the further questions. It's like, okay, cool. You graduate from FSU 
and you get your dream job playing in the Berlin Philharmonic and he really wants to stay in America. It's like, girl, bye. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I, it's not, that's not even a consideration for me. Right. Um, Indeed, yeah. And, it, and, it's, and it's not even just sort of like career, just sort of like for the sake of egoism is that uh, I think like in any arts, part of our goal is to be able to sort of like touch people, um, to be able to affect people's lives in a way that's hopefully positive, um, but also uh, might be sort of like challenging to a certain extent. Like uh, I, I right. imagine um, Pablo Picasso's Guernica didn't make people feel good. They made mm -hmm. them think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and I, yeah. You know, it's, that's the it's art a, that I respect. Right. It's the same thing as yeah. the Shostakovich Symphony, where it's it's just written um, under such oppression, and it's uh, frankly gets to the point where it's like noise. It's almost sort of like a guy screaming out, um, sort of like wanting freedom or for someone to pay attention right. um, to him without punishing him in sort of, some sort of way. And, and there's a reason that like Russian literature is still popular, right? Because that's exactly what it was. Some of the darkest that time, stuff out there. Yeah. yeah, it was just literally someone screaming in agony underneath oppression, just like get this the fuck off of me right exactly yeah. but it's just like I, I sort of like love engaging in that and for me almost even more important than the performance career is it what it does in order to set me up for uh what i do and sort of like my teaching mm -hmm. so for me um especially when we're talking about arts it's it's it to, there's got to be some sort of like experiential element to it mm -hmm. um, it's one thing to uh, take a lesson from somebody uh, if you take my professor at fsu for example like dr moore mm -hmm. uh, the guy literally has a grammy right <laughs> i think he knows a little something you can trust about that how to make it in yeah, the music yeah, industry yeah, yeah. And, and, <laughs> and that was without a social media presence right that was like back in the 80s yeah. like you know. <laughs> nowadays you can get one with like a million instagram subscribers or something. right i mean but he plays um solos he's recorded a cd uh actually several cds with the uh chestnut brass group um he's recorded a solo cd he plays in the tallahassee symphony and so when he tells you and then on top of that I, there's all the success that goes up uh from the fsu studio uh, one of the things that was remarkable last year is that they actually had five openings for TAs, which never happens. It, right. it simply doesn't. But it happened because all five of them had gotten a job and had been employed and had either left the school early or were just graduating with a job and were just sort of like moving on with their lives. That's I mean, a really good sign. It really is. Yeah. And so when you go into those lessons, there's sort of like a certain confidence, there's a certain authority. Um, with which he's able to speak and say, not only do I do this in my life and it works, but I've taught this to other people. They've exercised this in their life and it's working for them. Right. You should probably listen. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, it's so. Do you feel like you're getting you're getting more to that point as far as like taking authority into that? To a certain extent, yeah. So it's, it's, it's always going to be an evolving thing. Well, actually, let's just say you're a TA. Yeah, yeah, right, okay, right, yeah. right, right. So there was the five spaces. You got one of them. Right. Right. Okay. Um, and, I, and I've also been very fortunate enough to have been hired as a uh, adjunct uh, faculty member at uh, what's called APIC. It's in uh, Tifton, Georgia. Mm -hmm. uh, the abbreviation is the Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College. Um, mm -hmm. And So Farmers College. Basically, but with a really pretty uh, substantial music program. I, huh. I was surprised when I got there. Usually- Yeah, I mean, uh, classical music is very important to people driving tractors. Well, I think music in general has an ability to sort of uh, touch on a lot of other different concerns. Like they're mm -hmm. even talking about 
uh, um, musical therapy is becoming uh, huge. Uh, right. G- uh, Gabby Giffords, the congresswoman who is uh, uh, shot in Arizona, part of the reason she's able to speak now is because of music theory. Right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so for me, music education isn't just about like, okay, we're going to go train a trumpet player. The, to me, that's the most, obviously that's sort of like the highest sort of like pinnacle and peak. You would love to sort of get a job playing as a trumpet player if that is your career goal. Right. But to me, music education is about so many other things. It's about mm-hmm. sort of like developing the whole person. Uh, I really got attuned to this when I was working um, in Atlanta, sort of like my hometown, um, working with the Atlanta Music Project. Mm-hmm. It's a group that's based off of the- Amp. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice, okay. it's, uh, yeah, it's yeah, very clever. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. clever abbreviation. Yeah. Uh, and they are they are amped. They are they are really like spirited people. They love what they do, and um, their continued and growing success is a real testament to the kind of work that they're doing. Uh, they're based on this uh, program called El Sistema, which was inspired in Venezuela. Uh, that sought to use uh, music education not only as a means of bringing people out of poverty, mm-hmm. but as a method of affecting social change. Mm-hmm. And so uh, for these people, they're much less interested if somebody can um, you know, play a violin to uh, the standards of the Boston Symphony of the Los Angeles Philharmonic, mm-hmm. and more interested in um, teaching um, students just sort of like personal skills, uh, right. an ability to communicate, an ability to work with others, an ability to work independently and interdependently. Using music as a delivery vehicle exactly. for these things. Right? There's so many things that are required of people to engage in music, not only from a mental perspective. I mean, there's mm-hmm. plenty of studies out there that talk about uh, how uh, involvement in music can improve brain activity and mm-hmm. uh, uh, increase your abilities in sort of like the maths and the sciences. Uh, I, was into, I was into making uh, electronic music. Yeah, oh, wow. yeah, yeah, actually, the intro to this podcast um, that the people heard uh, before it started was is like just like instrumental hip hop with a bunch of samples and stuff like that in it. Right, and that taught me a lot. Actually, it's probably about six years, seven years. Mm. I've been through almost every art form, trying to figure out what I'm what I'm good at, what yeah. I'm bad at it. But I love and that though. I'm really I've been really bad at choosing which ones I'm good at so yeah. far. So I did a lot of shit. <laughs> well, yeah. well, you're a good podcaster. We'll give it at that. We'll see. Okay. See. <laughs> we'll give it a year and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Okay. So do, yeah, do, yeah. do you feel, and you feel as you're going along now that you're a TA adjunct professor, that you're gaining more of that feeling that you, that you are the one that now has to pass things on. And now that you are passing things on, I mean, mm-hmm. you're still learning a bit too as well, sure. but you're, you're kind of equalizing out what you're learning and what you're passing along mm-hmm. instead of just being a sponge. You're actually giving out a little bit. Right, right. You're sort of And like so like out. taking taking hold of it, because I've started doing that in Kung Fu. Mm-hmm. Like I've started teaching people right. that are younger than me. And of course with my Sifu there and everything, I don't do it in my own school or like privately or anything, but it's just as a Kung Fu big brother, you have to take a little bit of authority. You have right. to be like, all right, look, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Okay. I can demonstrate that for you if you want. Just listen to what I'm saying Mm -hmm. and I can help you out Mm -hmm. to the extent that I know. Not anything beyond that. Right. Of course. Yeah. So do do you feel like you're like getting more into that? Well, I I do to a certain extent, but I think it's also like what you were saying before. It's like to the extent of what you know and being very, very aware of where that knowledge uh, base sort of bottoms out. Yeah. Uh, I remember um, Tom Hooten came to visit the school. He's the principal trumpet of the Los Angeles Philharmonic. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions that he asked us, what is if if we sort of like took a pie chart with uh, sort of like your standard hundred percent, uh, given everything that's ever been known about music, 
what percentage do you think you can sort of encompass? Mm. Uh, and you know, we came out with numbers like 25%. I sort of fancied myself uh, sort of like a music history buff and a theorist and kind of thought like, oh, okay, well, you know, 25% sounds about right. Mm -hmm. But he got really sort of deep with this thing. He said, actually, you're probably closer to like 0.01%. Right. Like, like every recording of every piece, every common practice style of everything, Western music, Eastern music, sort of like your non-traditional things, like mm -hmm. how much do you really know? And I think, especially when you're teaching, you have to um, start from this uh, sort of like place of humbleness um, to know that while you do have a reasonable degree of confidence that what you're saying is gonna be helpful, you also have to be willing and uh, flexible when it doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, what I say to one person could completely annihilate a different person. And in that respect, um, teaching to the individual is like an absolutely critical skill. Obviously, you'll develop a certain pedagogy and certain things that you'll think are particularly important, but right. the way in which you communicate that can be vastly different depending on the student that you have. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. And for me, I think of it much less of a authority as I think of it as a privilege. Okay. Is yeah. that someone has, um, it's, it's, it's a huge responsibility. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. I've got um, one student right now who literally drives an hour from South Georgia um, to have a 45 minute lesson with me. Like spends literally double the amount of time on the road as she actually spends in the lesson. Right. Uh, right. Uh, because we uh, had met during the FSU summer music camps. Um, and she, I guess, was really sort of like enamored by my pedagogy and we sort of like clicked on a level. Um, it's, that's such an awesome responsibility. Yeah. But you know, th there's an awesome responsibility with that because here's this middle schooler who's, uh, has been able to convince her like mother who wasn't at the summer music camps, probably like met me once and we had a, like a passing handshake, mm -hmm. but, uh, was sort of so impacted by sort of like some of the things that I had said that she was able to convince her mother to drive an hour weekly for a 45 minute lesson one way. That's a supportive parent. It's a supportive parent. That's a very parent. supportive parent. But I mean, think about the responsibility that that entails, right? Yeah. Is that um, she's coming to you uh, with very sort of like specific issues that um, she's wanting to get solved and you better damn well solve them. You know, <laughs> or at least be able to provide a pathway uh, to be able to uh, provide the help that they're looking for. I think instead. that's the important part. Yeah. It's not showing them what it is. It's showing them the general path that you took to get there. Mm -hmm. And then they make the decision right. of whether they can take their that path or like a slightly different path to get to kind of the same thing. Yeah. Because I mean, to a certain extent, everybody's going to be on a little bit of a different path. But mm -hmm. I love the idea of uh, basically we're all on the same path. We're just at different points in it. So yeah. if you can imagine, um, so like one of those like corn mazes or something like that, there are some people who are at the top of their profession uh, playing in some of the best orchestras in the world that are right in the middle of that maze all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, um, your person, say like in fifth grade, who's uh, picking up a trumpet for the first time, they're right on the outside of that corn maze and they're about to take their first step in. Right. They're looking down, <laughs> they're looking right. down the dark ass hallway that, that's about to go, they're about to go down there. Right. Uh, There's okay. a little bit of an element of, oh shit, yeah. okay, here we go. <laughs> Dude. And, you know, you'll take all sorts of twists and turns. You might run into a wall over here. You might find a different pathway over here. You mm -hmm. might find a completely different method uh, for getting to the center. But everybody sort of like has their sort of like different directions that they go. Yeah. But it's all kind of the same thing. Yeah, I never thought I'd be doing this broadcasting thing. Yeah. That was like the furthest thing from my mind. I was like, fuck social media, fuck video, fuck audio. I'm going to be an author. 
I want to write a novel. Right. You know, that's the only true art. Well, and for me doing something like this, I mean, I'll, I'll just be frank. When I first heard about the concept, it like kind of terrified me uh, because, you know, the, the, the concept of say like social media and the digital age now mm -hmm. is that nothing's erased. Everything lives forever. Um, right. And, you know, cult cultures will change and there'll be things that we find sort of more appropriate or less appropriate, say 10 years from now, 30 years from now. Um, it, it's the reason why I, it's, it's the reason I don't get a tattoo. It's just sort of mm -hmm. like, wow, things can hold a huge amount of personal significance now. I'm like terrified by the concept of that not being there 50 yeah, years from this, now. Yeah, uh, the Triforce mm. from Legend of Zelda mm -hmm. on my, my hand here, already that most people know it's the Triforce from Legend of Zelda. Right. You know, which represents like power, courage, and wisdom, mm -hmm. which is a good thing to remember. Right. Always. Right, right. You know, those are three foundations that you should absolutely. But some people go with like the Harry Potter thing, like a Death Eater thing. Oh, okay. Uh, some people go with like some Egyptian shit, like Egyptian mysticism. Yeah. But you just imagine like, like 20 years raw. from now, suddenly like instead of Pepe the Frog, you know, like the little troll symbol for like a lot of like just fucking people that love to troll yeah. on the fucking like the weird ends of the internet, 3chan, 4chan, all that shit. Uh, if they just suddenly adopted this as their symbol. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then all of a sudden... I would literally have shit thrown at me on a daily basis. Right, right, right. Milkshakes or what the fuck ever. You know what or, I mean? Or like an even better example. There's this uh, show that I absolutely loved called uh, Archer. Uh, sort of like this. Oh, I love Archer. Yeah. Love Archer. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I haven't uh, watched the latest seasons because I kind of fell well, off. But... Well, they're kind of terrible anyway, yeah, so it's it's not really worth it. Yeah. I think really one of the the things that was like a death nail in that show was the fact that they tried to put it in a narrative because. The, the show is by definition a farce. As soon as you introduce the narrative, the entire point of the show is ruined. Right, yeah. Uh, but you know, they the name of the uh, spy agency was ISIS. Right, yeah, that, yeah. That was before ISIS. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. part of the reason why they went off on this story arc is because they couldn't have a spy agency named ISIS anymore. Yeah. Uh, because it now it holds a particular... Uh, I mean, that was, kind of, that was kind of an interesting plot line though. Like losing oh, it, the it agency was, and yeah, then like uh, It was interesting. And, I, and to be fair, I was in for like a season and a half of that. Same. Uh, but then it started really drifting. And then they did this whole like, uh, I don't know, like Archer's having a dream that he's in this like 1920s something. And it just got weird. Yeah. Like Archer Dreamland or something like that. Right. Uh, fine if you sort of like depart for a season or two. But like after a while, it's like, okay. Kind of reboot. Go back to the original thing. <laughs> right. It's like what made yeah. this show great in the first place? What, what, made, what made the show great was Inside Jokes. Hmm. That I think that's what made for me personally, because there would be a joke on episode three, and then on episode ten they would call back to a joke on episode three. Yes. It's like, do you want ants? Because that's how we get ants. Yes. And they would use that every now and then, and you would go like, oh, I remember that. Yes. Yeah. It's like, oh, they're gonna get ants on this floor. It's yeah. like, oh, might as well start exactly. an ant farm. Yeah. Uh <laughs> Seriously, or no, we're not doing context anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, or I remember a particular one. It was, it was. I remember uh, the character Lana was talking about how she got into the spy agency, and she sort of was like telling her origin story. And she says, uh, two weeks later, I was in Tunisia killing a different man." <laughs> but you never hear about like who the first man was until like five or six episodes later, right? Mallory's origin story, and she says, two weeks later, I was in Tunisia killing a man." Yeah, and it was like, wait, so. What happened first? Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Ilana's talking about a different man, but we don't get the context of that till later. Like, it's, it, I love that concept of the show of like mm. not really knowing what time you're in. It's like we've got Soviets, but somehow the internet. 
we're flying in blimps, but uh, yeah. we've got it's just cold war in general. It's just yeah. cold. It's just everything yeah, cold exactly. war. Yeah, that's fucking very interesting. Like the whole it's just like the attitude of it all. Yeah. Um, I don't poo. We're on a tangent now, and I forgot. What we yeah, we got about. a little bit tangent. Let's let's go with the uh, uh, when I was talking about the authority thing, like when you learn to teach. Mm, yes. Yeah, okay. Like uh, like. Uh, I think it's it, important as, as people learn to be like a maestro or a master or mm-hmm. a sifu or, or whatever it may be, teacher, basically, uh, that you kind of grow into a maturity hmm. level that you, personally, I think maturity is knowing what you're good at mm-hmm. or no, what you're passionate at, what you're good at and how to blend all of these things and pay more attention, pay more attention to what you think will be not only the most useful, mm-hmm. but the most passionate for you and to find a path, not only within the skill, mm-hmm. but also within life. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know I mean, like your own thought processes and your own, like as you're growing up, yes. quote unquote, quote unquote, whatever yeah. that means now. Yeah. Maturity <laughs> growing up. Well, I mean, yeah, part of the problem is that we've got a loose definition of that sort of thing, but right. yeah, but back to this sort of like idea of like, I don't know if there's ever going to be a day where I probably consider myself an authority. Uh, Mm -hmm. I remember back in this, uh, back to Mark Manson's book about the subtle art of not giving a fuck is that part of what defines great people is that they assume that they're not great, is that there's always something to learn on top of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I'm shit at everything. Right. Well, it's it's, it's, no, no, because then that gets into realms of uh, sort of like a lack of personal Mm self-confidence and um, like like devolving self-worth which isn't where we don't want to go. It's right. the opposite extreme of this. Yeah. But it's the understanding that there's so much knowledge out there uh, that you're sort of like humbled by every single opportunity to learn and you find opportunities to learn everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of spirit is absolutely critical in teaching because if you just sort of assume that you know everything and why isn't this person getting it, you, you, you know, my, my assumption is, is that if somebody's not getting something and they're trying to get it, that there's a different method of which I can apply or there's a it's different It's all on the teacher at that point. Right. Yeah, it absolutely is. Like one of the things I, co- I constantly ask my students is, does that make sense? And sometimes uh, I'll even catch them kind of going, oh yeah, sure. And I can see how they're still thinking about it. It's like, no, please let me know. It is literally my job to yeah. make sure that you get this. And you know, as you get, as you get better at something, you also learn how to stream streamline it, like be more efficient about it. Right. Uh, particularly beginner things. And as you become advanced, intermediate things. Right. But you learn how to break it down to a very simplistic level. Mm-hmm. And that way, if, if somebody's coming into it for the first time, they don't know dick all about dick all. And you're able to break, break down their kind of like first steps in a way that a novice can understand. Yeah. But to me, it gets, it gets back to sort of like where we are sort of like on this path. Uh, one of the things that I've really started developing now is that uh, I hate hearing the idea of students saying that something was either good or bad mm-hmm. because I find them to be completely useless concepts. You right. know, it's like if Tiger Woods uh, hits a golf ball and he goes, oh, my bad, and then puts another golf on the tee, he's learned absolutely nothing and he's done absolutely nothing to make sure mm-hmm. that the next um, time that he takes a swing that he does a better job. Right. But it, conversely, if he says, well, that was a little bit too high and to the right. Mm-hmm. Well, then the next shot that he hits is going to be aimed low and to the left. Absolutely. And, uh, and in that respect, I say, especially in music or like probably in any art form, there's always going to be somebody better than you and there's always going to be somebody worse than you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that sort of thing aside, what is it that we're actually after and how specifically can we define 
um, sort of like the goals that we're trying to reach. Mm-hmm. So if they say like, well, I want to sound better. Well, what does that mean? What's right. It, what's yeah. a good sound? You know, one thing, the one thing I learned when I was doing, uh, actually, I, I put this into comedy as well, but martial arts, one of the first things that helped me was focus on one specific thing. Mm, Don't yeah. focus on like, again, I want to be better. Right. I want to be a better martial artist. You got to say Needless. like, all right, my block as I'm punching to get a fist out of the way as I'm going to punch at the same time is slightly off the angle. Mm. So I'll keep practicing this as I'm going along to get at the perfect angle. Right. Get that, just this one thing. Not perfect, because nothing can ever be perfect, of sure. course. But it's getting, getting it to where it's a great angle on that way, that will build upon the next thing. Mm-hmm. And that will build, whatever is next will build upon the next thing. Right, I mean, it's, it's small improvements over time, mm-hmm. uh, basically uh, becoming an amalgamation of a gigantic improvement. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything is a grind. Right. Everything is a grind. Yeah. I mean, you've got to work for everything that you get. And it's really interesting because like once you start hitting success, it's very easy for people to forget about the struggles that get you there. Like um, recently. I, contentment. I, right. Contentment. Yeah. Right. Like recently I won a, a position with the Tallahassee Symphony Orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, something that I received a lot of congratulations for. And there are some people who just sort of assumed like, oh, well, you know, he's sort of like a grad student at FSU. He's like plays pretty well. Like, yeah, sure. He, he just got that spot. I auditioned for that orchestra four times. Right. Yeah. Four times. Yeah. Twice during my master's. Uh, once. Well, good for you. What, you want a fucking hand job? Jesus Christ. No, no, no. It's, like, it's, it's, it's not that. with you. But, but it's, yeah, yeah. But, but <laughs> it's, it's funny. But I mean, I do, but, you know, not from you. Right. <laughs> Oh, thanks. Oh, sorry. Thanks. Well, no, you, is it my ashy hands? No, is that you, what just, it is? no you just wouldn't be into it. You know, you, got, you need a TLC. That's true. Yeah. There'd be no passion behind There's it. No passion, Mechanical. But, right. It's like, yeah. right. It's like, might as well have a flashlight. Right. <laughs> <laughs> not even that good, really, actually. Right. Um, but yeah, but, it, but it's still one of those things. It's like, no, this didn't just happen. I've tried and failed, then I tried again and failed, and then I tried one more time, failed one more time. And after learning from all of those experiences and sort of like fine tuning and honing the craft, I was able to go in and deliver sort of like a package that was desirable enough to the committee to Mm -hmm. have them hire me on as a musician. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's it's especially in uh, when, when we're sort of like recognizing greatness or anything like that, it's so important to remember the pathway that gets you there because they don't, no one starts there. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody just pops out of the womb being like a trumpet aficionado. And even those that um, do have like more of a uh, natural proclivity to it, say like your child prodigies or stuff like that. They're actually you, worse off, I think, personally. Well, you'd be in prodigies are worse still off. Not practicing. Yeah, well, yeah, you have, you, there's more of a chance with anything who's, who's, because, I mean, not to brag on myself, but I'm usually, I can usually get things pretty quickly. Right. Like if I start them, I can, I can pick it up because I'll study like the, the foundation of it instead of people, sometimes people like to focus on the cool shit. Right. At first, until you start to learn that you got to focus on basics. I focus on the basics already. Mm, yeah, yeah. So I take it up pretty quick and that can actually harm you in a long-term way mm-hmm. because you, you start to think to yourself like, oh, this is like, this is easy. Right. You know, but really that's once you progress to the next level mm-hmm. or whatever that is to inter- intermediate, then you're just going like, then you're just still focusing on like the, 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 the basic. Right. Cause, Cause it's easy. Well, I'm, I'm always interested in people who are child prodigies grow up into be adults that are really, really good at their craft. 
A really great example of this is actually uh, uh, the concertmaster of the Atlanta Symphony, David Kusharon, uh, from, I think, it's, I think he's from Norway, um, and his sister, Julie Kusharon. They're unbelievably great musicians, mm -hmm. and they have been from the time they were four. Like, literally, I found a YouTube clip of them one time, and they were playing this trio. They were like four or five years old, performing absolutely beautifully. Uh, but then you sort of like get down and sort of like talk to these people and that's not where it stopped. It's not like they just said, oh, I have this skill and this is just where we're going to sit. They also obsessed about the craft in any way that any sort of practicing musician uh, would come up with. Right. And so, uh, you know, I'll, I'll see Facebook posts all the time. It's like, oh, back at it again. I've got four concerts coming up and oh my gosh, this is like so stressful. I really want to make sure that all of this is exactly the way that I want it. Is that you take that sort of prodigal skill and then build upon that as your foundation, as opposed to just sort of taking the prodigal skill and just saying, oh, okay, well, you know, I, I've got it now. Yeah. Like that's, that's a death nail in anybody's career. I think one of the, or whatever. I think one of the important things to kind of like combat that, like kind of, not to say prodigy per se, but like you have a good jump start on something over like say some people. Right. Um, best just because you pay attention more. Right. You know what I mean? That's really all it is, just paying attention to it. Or, Going back to that. But it's uh, knowing not only where you're at, and even though you might be above kind of your peers at wherever you're at at that point, mm -hmm. but also having reverence for those that have blazed the trail before you. Right. Like, like in comedy, I would consider, you know, like Bill Burr and Louis C.K. and George right. Carlin and is Bill Hicks. Is the reason your comedy and, is relevant, right? My my comedy. No, I was gonna say is the reason why your comedy is like relevant, oh, yeah, or even like yeah. the style of comedy. Right. You know? Yeah. I developed like the uh, yeah. like the Ron Whites of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know. I mean, he's still funny. Don't get me wrong. Oh yeah. Yeah. But absolutely. this is not me. It's not what I'm gonna follow. It's like other people have blazed sort of a tra of a path, and you could say the same thing for you. You can name off trumpet players. Sure, of you course. Know? And, uh, and you, you follow that path and you have reverence for that person mm -hmm. to go like, I see what they, I see that I might not even ever be that good. Right. Maybe I will, maybe I won't, I'll, I'm gonna try. Right. But obviously this person had to go through a lot of shit to get where they are. Yep. They, they're late nights, they were grinding, they fucking, they, they worked so fucking much that they, they usually put their fam, uh, family situations in, in peril, sure. not necessarily peril, but, you know, and dysfunction, right? You know, stuff like that. Like that's what it takes. Or at the very least, they compromise it <clears throat> yeah. to a certain extent. You can't just jump to that just by like being like, well, <sighs> kind of almost nat like naturally good. So you still gotta fucking grind. Well, it's 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 always a matter of uh, sort of like what pain you choose to go through, mm -hmm. right? Like the the idea that you can sort of just like walk through life and just be great at everything is just like completely like nonsensical to me. Yep. Uh, at best, anybody's going to be maybe great at one thing and pretty good at hopefully two or three other things. That's exactly where I'm at. You know, that's exactly, <laughs> right. writing but, is my number one thing. Right. Yeah. And the but, rest but, is kind of. But you also devote a heck of a lot of energy to that craft. And uh, in order to sort of like achieve what other people might call greatness, mm -hmm. uh, you, you put in a lot of work, you put in a lot of time that frankly, people might not willing, be willing to do. Uh, there's this wonderful uh, video on uh, that made the rounds on Facebook a while ago, and uh, Will Smith um, had encountered a fan that just said, wow, you're so great at what you do, I wish I could do that. And he said, I don't know if that's true. He's like, I went through a lot of work, I sacrificed a lot of late nights, I cried, I wondered whether or not what I was doing was the right thing, I almost quit over here, I grabbed myself and like really sort of like made this thing happen. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and 
do you want it that badly? Like, it gets back to the idea of, like, if you can do something else, please, by all means, yeah. do. Like, you know, uh, making a career in the arts is hard as hell. There's, yeah, there's never a straight path. Like, if you want to become an architect, they have a path for that. Right. Like, it's you follow A to B to C to D to E to right. F, you know. But as far as as far as far creative goes, if you follow A to B to C to D to F only, you become mediocre. Right. You become the same thing that's happened before. The right. point of art is to push it. Now, granted... You know, there, there are architects that can push it sure. there, beyond. There are artists who are architects. Yeah. Well, as far as like there are architects that can push forward just like, you know, in the creative fields as well. Yeah. You know, but they're they're a bit more logical when it's concerned. But as far as, you know, every, all the other arts and stuff like that, it's just if you're not pushing things forward, you're irrelevant. Right. In a way. Well, I mean, it reminds me of uh, Robert Spano, who's uh, just recently has announced his retirement from the Atlanta Symphony. Uh, we were having a conversation a couple of years ago when he was a distinguished faculty member at Emory uh, University where I got my undergrad. Um, and he was saying that when he hit the 10 year mark, he almost quit. Right. Uh, and we asked like, why everything was going well? He said, well, I didn't really know how to improve the orchestra further from what I had already done. Mm -hmm. And in my book, you're either getting better or you're getting worse. And if you're staying the same, you're getting worse and you don't know it. Absolutely. Because <laughs> yeah. you know? well, your your critical thinking skills are decaying. Exactly. As you get, especially as you get older. Right. Or I mean, you know, as as uh, uh, t uh, think technology improves, uh, we have so much more access to different uh, other types of musicians. I mean, a, a really classic example is like back in the seventies, uh, this Russian trumpet player by the name of uh, Timothy Dokshitzer. Uh, existed almost dog like, shitzer dog shitzer yeah dog shitter <laughs> okay okay wow uh, there's a k in there no so. wonder he went into the arts and was driven <laughs> jesus right. christ with a name like that you can't help but be driven <laughs> you have to be driven to something god damn uh but yeah i mean he was mostly like a legend like maybe he came to like america once and did a recital and you got an opportunity to hear him live mm -hmm. and uh aside from that like maybe you were lucky enough to sort of like pick up like a vinyl or something like that but now if there's some sort of like whiz kid uh, who's doing anything in like a random, uh, like name a country, you can find them on YouTube, you can get videos, you can saturate yourself with that sort of thing. And to that extent, I think that improvement, especially in the arts, uh, but I think, I'll just speak to music, I don't know if it's particularly in music, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, the, the improvement pathways is like accelerated. Mm -hmm. It's that if you played in the exact same way that the principal trumpet of the Philadelphia Orchestra played in the 1950s, you wouldn't get past the first round. If there were tapes, your tape would not be accepted. Um, right. And that's not to sort of like denigrate the achievements of the people who came before. It's like you were saying before, it's the path that they drive in, it's the reverence and the respect that you have for the people who set you up for the things that you are now able to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're also an individual, you're not that person. Right, exactly. And that's, that's what they want, is that individual, like your own voice. Well, I mean, everything is a response to something. Like if you take, uh, say like the Renaissance was uh, uh, sort of like a response to sort of like really heavy religious, uh, religiousism, and I'm sure that's not yeah, a word. Religiosity. Reli sure. <laughs> right, uh, and then sort of like out of that you have sort of like a Baroque era, um, something that kind of had one foot in the church. Well, that's because they spent like too much money. Thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> they, are baroque. they are Baroque. Uh, and then, sort of like in response to that, you have sort of like a classical uh, group that found Baroque music to be entirely too mathematical, too chaotic, too um, just sort of like complex, and you just sort of like, like very simple melody and accompaniment. 
Mm-hmm. That makes way for romanticism that says, okay, now we've got this wonderful form, how much can we express? And then you get to the 20th century where the lid pops off where expression is the only key, screw the form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, screw the theory and everything else. Yeah. And it, nothing can happen without the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, uh, people ask me, like, who my favorite composer is all the time. And usually a lot of trumpet players will say, like, like your Bruckner or Wagner or uh, Mahler or some basically somebody who wrote things with a lot of trumpet solos in them mm-hmm. that we enjoy playing. And I love those composers. But to me, my favorite composer always comes back to uh, Johann Sebastian Bach. Okay. Because yeah. nothing that's happening now would have been possible without his uh, level of artistry, the detail of his counterpoint, uh, and just frankly, the immense musical output that he had. I mean, this is a guy who was like, an organist at a church and would compose masterpieces just for Sunday services and then would throw them in a trunk. Right. Assuming yeah, yeah. they'd never be played again. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah. Unbelievable. Well, that was an interesting idea, but yeah. whatever. Oh, yeah, that was great. It's like yeah. St. Mark's Passion. It's like, okay, cool. We got past this service. Now let's work on the Easter program. Yeah. And it's just like, uh, like the Christmas oratory. I was like, oh, it's Christmas. We still play that stuff, you know? Right. <laughs> um, Indeed. And, and, and that kind of order had a huge effect on all of the composers that came after it because. I think to a certain extent, even like music that's today, if you look at say like music production, is that it's a matter of sort of like how you layer pieces, right? Mm-hmm. You sort of like, uh, say if you were to take popular music, you have sort of like your, uh, say like a bass beat in the background, um, something sort of like happening at the uh, treble, kind of like high frequency level, mm-hmm. something happening at the mid frequency level, something kind of happening at the lower frequency level, and then your bass. Right, right. You know. That's all like uh, sort of like taken right out of the Western canon and just applied to a different situation. It just has a different costume. And so that was Bach that contributed to that like Absolutely. that leveling. Yeah, I yeah. mean there are certainly other composers, but none so prolific and no none so virtuosic and had such a diverse career because mm-hmm. probably we wouldn't have heard of him so much if he remained only as a church musician. Mm-hmm. But he has wonderful pieces that were designed specifically to be played in churches and then other pieces that were more sort of like secular work, say like the Brandenburg concertos that was written as a gift to someone else. And on top of just like the output, the level of quality of the music, it's something that I think that every composer, whether they're realizing it or not, is probably kind of pining after as Mm -hmm. uh, an idea of if if there could be musical perfection, I would probably say Bach is the one that came the closest. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, you have the same thing with uh, modern day electronic artists. Oh, absolutely. When you're listening to electronic artists, like it's that layering and the syncopation and you know, like how those things are meeting up along the the, the layer that w- if they, they do it perfectly, it sounds like a fucking symphony. Right. It, it sounds it, exactly it, like a fucking it, symphony. And to that point, there's actually electronic music artists who wrote an electronic symphony. Mm. Uh, BT. Mm. Yep. But, I mean, BT used to be one of my favorite. He's kind of fallen off lately. Oh, well, sure. I mean, but he, uh, he used to be one of my favorite artists. I saw him live. At Fe- oh, at, that must have been amazing. At Future Fest in Atlanta in 1999. Mm. And I, t- I took a... There's a funny story for you. Yeah, yeah, let's hear it. All right, so I'm there to see BT, right? But there's a bunch of other stages. And it's at a uh, fairgrounds, so it's all like dirt, mm, you know, yeah. and also the shit of like a, oh, like weird a 4-H like club, club or whatever, yeah. you know, like, like <laughs> Georgia as fuck. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I, as soon as we go in, I'm like, I'm like, oh, man, we need to find some acid. Like we're at a, you know, like, <laughs> okay. it's like, got to find some acid. I look around and I see this guy standing next to the porta potties and he's got the widest eyes. <laughs> and he's just like looking around. Like, that's the one. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, that guy right there. I walk over and I'm like, hey man, what's up with the Sid? You know? And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Follow me in a porta potty. 
And you go porta potty? There were security guards. Okay. So, you know, man, there was lots of other better places, but we go into the porta because it's fucked up. The security know. wasn't at all, like, suspicious. Yeah, exactly. Like, we probably, like, in Georgia, we probably would have arrested over, like, two guys going to a bathroom <laughs> over acid. Know, you know right? what I mean? That's way more of a crime in Georgia. Well, so. That's the video you go to the wrong bathroom. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so we go in, and I'm just like, hey, you know, I want to get... Uh, I want to get like, you know, like three drops of uh, liquid, maybe like two paper. I was doing a bit of acid at the time. I will pretend like I know what that means. Right. It basically, liquid is a lot stronger because the liquid oh, okay. is on the paper and it absorbs into the paper. Okay. Right. But the liquid is just straight liquid. It's just like straight LSD. Oh, okay. So uh, it would just, it's, it's a lot. But anyway, he's <laughs> it's like, a lot. Okay. He's, he's like, all right, like, like I, don't, I don't like putting this near people's mouths. So I like hold out your hand and you put it in your hand. Oh, and wow. it'll still okay. drain into your hand, like in your skin. And so I hold Sounds out my hand terrifying. and this dude takes a dropper out of the brown bottle and he squirts. He doesn't drop. He squirts it into my hand. And there's a puddle of acid. It, like I've got my hand kind of cut. Wow. And there's like a puddle. And I was like, yo, come on, dude. And I was like, you got you to gotta suck some of the back up in there. And like, like, well, at least you have the wherewithal. And he was like, like oh, whatever, that's... whatever, whatever, man, whatever. And I was like, dude, I'm not going to pay for it. He's like, $21. 21, because he's fucked up. Like, right. He's fucked yeah, up. He's $21, $21, $21. I look at it, I was like, fuck it. I pop it in my mouth. Holy right? cow. My whole mouth goes numb. It's like metallic. You know, it's got this metallic numbing okay. thing. And it starts to like soak in immediately. And I can feel like you get this weird cringe on your muscles back huh. here. Okay. Because it's, so, it's kind of like a battery. You know what I mean? Mm, like on a 9-volt yeah, yeah. battery. You do that when you were a kid? I, I haven't, but I, I know what you're talking but, about. Or kind of like... You ever you ever been like almost almost killed by something or like in a car wreck or something like that? Yes. You know that feeling you get in the back of your neck, or it's like a quick mm, little yes. acidy taste. Yeah. It's like that. Okay. Yeah, Kinda it's like, very very fucking similar to that. Like emotionally emotional acid reflux, maybe. Yeah. Well, it's more like a, a sudden release of hormones, mm, and like okay, and okay. sudden release of like the muscles using the acid, like producing lactic acid and all this other stuff. Right. So I take that. And I give him twenty dollars, and I'm trying to give him thirty, but he's like, no, twenty one. And I was like, That's painfully no. specific. Yeah, because he was he was fucked up, and I didn't want to like steal the shit. But I was like, dude, you gave me too much. You're like, here's thirty, man. Let's oh, fucking take this. You know? very he's very honorable. Like, hey, twenty one, twenty one, twenty one, twenty one. And I was like, whatever. And I gave him twenty. He's like, it's fine. So we leave, and my other friends go in there, and they have like a, kind of the same but slightly different thing. And I ended up like blacking out through the night. Yikes! And I remember just sort of like coming to. And BT was on stage hmm. and he's doing his thing. And he had this whole, of course, his whole like, it's like three synthesizers, five drum machines, what? a couple of yeah. fast processors, like this whole three level, right. the massive fucking, yeah. you know, the video out there and shit. Blew my mind. Yeah. Blew my mind. Because one of the things I find fascinating about him is that he operates at a level of like he literally tries to go for sort of like musical per, uh, perfection with respect to proportions and things like that. So a lot of mm -hmm. the uh, the sounds that he creates are literally based on fractal patterns that are found in nature. Right. Uh, yeah, a lot of his album covers right. show that, yeah. Like golden ratios. And, mm -hmm. and then likewise, his uh, videos end up having the same sort of thing. It's like, you'll notice that like, particular there, there's a very specific amount of seconds that you focus on say like one scene versus I, another. I was about to say, uh, you know the, you know the, the 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 nine square grid on a camera that you can put yes, on the yes, camera yes, yes, yeah, yeah it's basically it looks like a tic tac toe right, right. type thing right that's based off the golden ratio mm, like I the, the four points where they meet is based off of the golden ratio 
And that's where our eyes look. So when you're taking video, and this is like me watching amateur, you know, cinematography videos right. and stuff, but the four points are where the major focal points are supposed to be. Ooh, okay. So if you're filming something, like if I was filming right here, I would like offset it a bit and your face would be at the top right where it meets here. And I would try and find something like kind of interesting over here right. and then line it up kind of like me with your knee in the foreground or something. You know mm, what I mean? Yeah. And it's yeah, based yeah. off the golden ratio. That's interesting. That, now I'm starting to see why people win Oscars for this stuff. Because yeah. um, yeah. I, I think I was watching some review of like the new Joker movie that came out and it seems to be a pretty controversial thing. Uh, I can't wait. I want to go see it. I really want to go see it too. Yeah. I, I just, I, I don't know. I need to find my debit card so I can actually pay for it. But. <laughs> That's important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They tend not to let you in the movies without money. And if you sneak past, they tend to be a little bit upset about yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, you know, if I did it, they'd kick me out. If they did, if you did, they'd just shoot you. Yeah, so probably. Was... <laughs> Either that or somebody would stand their ground. Right, 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 <laughs> right, Florida, right. you know. I'm standing my ground and you gotta uh, come in this theater. Man, it'd just be like, uh, God, I feel like the national story on that would just be like, Florida man, yep, got another one. Right. Um, <laughs> Florida That's man like, tries to sneak in the theater. It's like Florida man, yeah, Florida man X, Y, and Z. It's like, oh gosh, right, man. dude. Uh, I'm I'm so disappointed. I've lived here for what almost three years now. Yeah. First time I've ever lived story. in Florida. I haven't met a single Florida man. Yeah, not a one. Oh, like, what man. kind of fucking bullshittery is that? Yeah, well, I'm okay with meeting that because for me, it's like it's a balanced thing. Like, I feel like if I meet a Florida man, the, my the very next thing I'm going to meet is like an alligator, and that's just not acceptable to me. Yeah, I used to swim next to alligators when I was a kid. Swim next to alligators? Yeah, like you would like, we had this creek, it's called Black Creek, and they were all over the place. Alligators don't fuck with people. They really don't. They actually, number one, don't like the taste of people because we eat so many like weird fucking toxic filled things yeah, and chemicals but, and shit. We don't smell good to other animals. Like they'll eat us if they're really hungry, but we really, we're not good meat. Yeah, but you gotta like take that chance every time you get in the water though, right? Like, you're like no, oh, they, I assume they, he's not very they hungry. Fucking, they swim away. Plus, it's just, it's too big. Like, alligators are used to grabbing small shit like possums and raccoons. Right. Easy shit to eat and fish and stuff. Uh, sometimes even like turtles. But it, when it comes to a human, it's just too big. It's a lot of work. Hmm. They're very efficient killers. Yeah, I gotta say, this is one of those things where I find myself agreeing with Archer, where it's like alligators or crocodiles is like by far my biggest fear. Really? Uh, yeah, I remember actually when I was here for my master's at FSU, our professor got the TAs together. Um, sort of like one of those like group bonding experiences. Mm -hmm. uh, and we went to Wakulla Springs um, to do some kayaking. And uh, of course he had his own kayak and we were sharing because that was part of the exercise. Um, <laughs> and uh, at one point, I think uh, the person that was uh, sort of like in the front of the kayak was trying to do like some sort of like boat wars or something like that. Uh, with one of the other boats and it ended up flipping our boat and I just immediately like went into terror mode because all I could think was crap I'm in the water I'm about to get eaten this is what color springs the water right. is too cold for alligators who even exist yeah. <laughs> and I was still yeah. just like and, and I don't think I, I don't even really remember doing this I had to be told about this later but I <laughs> sort of like jumped up once to flip the boat back over and literally jumped out of the water back into Pretty the boat <laughs> like yeah I was like yeah. in and out of that water with like within 10 seconds it was right. just like oh shit Flip. Oh yeah. shit. In. <laughs> it was like probably one of the funniest things they'd ever seen. <laughs> but no, I really don't do alligators. I really wish that they had gotten like killed off by the dinosaurs because it's just like, yeah, right. it's like unchanged since the freaking Cretaceous era. Like, yeah. 
a yeah. perfect evolutionary killing machine. Yeah, like, they just they just shrunk more, so we can't see them as as visibly. Yeah, you know, if they were bigger, we could see them through like them coming. Well, that would be probably scarier. Actually. That would be much scarier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so it, it's for that reason that I like avoid beaches because like right up in there, it's right. like with. I'm not a big beach guy, which is like kind of insane given that I live in Florida, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just glad it's like Tallahassee and not like some place where I would be expected to go to the beach with any kind of regularity. Right. Yeah, uh, I'm not I like I like the beach at night. I, I, I like to swim in the water at beach at night. Oh, see, to me, it's it's worse at night because you can't see what's coming. Cause, oh, I'm fine with that. Because to me, I, I just don't like inhabiting like bodies of waters with other creatures. One, they're just uh. it's like pissing and shitting in the water, so that's just gross. And then two, there's all this manner of things. Wait, you don't like, think people are pissing and shitting in pools? Yeah, but there's chlorine. Like, and 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 then it's 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 uh, I don't know. I guess it's part of the experience too. Yeah. Um, but I, I I used to swim out at night at a Tabby Island uh, over there near Savannah on the coast at nighttime. And there were sharks out there. Oh hell no! Time, I, I right? could never. I Most could of the time, they, they, they again, they, it's too big of a splash. It's just well, I, it's not their preference, but they can still do it. Well, I mean, this is why it's an irrational fear yeah. on my part. It's just like, yeah, 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 I, yeah, I hear everything that you're saying. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds great until I encounter a shark that actually feels like going through the effort and is really hungry. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, aside from the sharks, there's like jellyfish and there's lobsters and the cramps and all sorts of shit that like bites you and pinches you. Jellyfish. Right? Jellyfish. And it's like, and I will be damned if I ever have a friend piss on me. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like um, you know, this is like to, for, for that, I, I much prefer like mountain cabins, yeah. you know. Um, plus, you know, if you're going to get a gilded shower, it's got to be an intimate setting. Really. You know, you it's got to be. Even in that setting, that's a little like, that's a, you know, to each their own. There are some people who are right. into that and, right, right, right. and I give them all the expect. You know what? We're going to tolerate that and not accept it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's go ahead and wrap it up. Okay. Uh, let's see what some final words uh, for, I guess we've kind of already given a lot of advice to people who are like going towards something. Hmm, yeah. You know what I mean? We've kind of like dropped some things here and there, but what, what do you think is the most important thing? Probably the most important thing is that if you want something, really be aware of how much you actually want it and what you're willing to sacrifice to get it. Mm -hmm. Because wanting something is not nearly enough. I want to be rich uh, and I'm a trumpet player. So right. that's probably not going to happen. I'm probably not going to live in a mansion with like a golden toilet or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, find what's important to you and really make sure that you're going after it. And this has been another episode of Discoursers. Remember, there's usually one out uh, every other week on Monday. And uh, keep an eye out on it. We got social media and all that stuff. It's all on the webpage. Check it out, discoursers.com. And, well, go fuck yourself. <laughs>